0: is Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 17. As you're turning there, allow me to tell you about a man named Desmond Doss. In 1919, he was born in Lynchburg, Virginia, and he was born into a Seventh-day Adventist family. It was a family that prioritized, honoring the Sabbath. They ate vegetarian, and they are also opposed to all forms of violence. It was 1942, and this man that loved his country enlisted in the United States Army. What made him unique is that he refused to carry a gun or to kill his enemies. Despite that, he became a celebrated medic. In fact, in World War II, during the Battle of Okinawa, it was recorded that he saved the lives of between 50 and 100 American soldiers. His story became famous to the point where it was made into a movie in 2016. Um, Hacksaw Ridge won an Oscar. And what makes Desmond Doss's story so different is that as he would go to war, he did not have a weapon. He did not carry a weapon. To to soften it a bit, imagine someone going out and playing hockey without a hockey stick. Or someone playing baseball and stepping into the batter's box without a bat. Someone taking the the later part of the summer scouting for bow hunting and, and going up on their tree stand opening weekend without a bow someone who's invested a lot in his fishing trip to bring some tackle in a boat but no fishing poles. Or a mechanic that is an expert in working on cars and you bring your car over and he lacks his tools. Or a shopaholic that's dropped off at the mall and doesn't have their credit card. You know what I'm saying? It, it just doesn't seem to, to be a match at all. And so what we have been doing during this summer here of 2021 at Highland Crest is we've actually been looking at warfare, not from a World War II perspective, but from the first century. And we're looking at the Roman soldiers, and we're applying that also to spiritual warfare. So the next little article of armor that we're looking at is Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 17. But instead of just isolating that verse 17 I'm hoping that you've been joining me in memorizing this passage together, meditating on it. So let's read verses 10 all the way to 20 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And our Lord, would you take the the verses that we have read today, and as we just focus on what it is to have the sword of the Spirit and to take that up, I pray that you would help us to understand that and that you would speak to us and even apply an application that we would say, I not only want to have a Bible, I not only want to read the Bible, but I want the Bible to run my life, to speak to me about every situation in my life, and may I be challenged by that today, and if convicted, agree with you and and pray for you to guide me in my relationship with this sword the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look here, uh, we have been working through throughout this summer different, different pieces of the armor. Several weeks ago, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness. We looked at, we've looked at the shield of faith. We looked at the, the belt of truth. We looked at the, the sandals or the shoes of the gospel of peace. And last week, we looked at the helmet of salvation. And all of those other pieces of armor have to do with defending us against attack. But today, we're looking at an offensive weapon. Yes, this sword can not only help us in the offense, but we'll also see that it can help us on the defensive as well. So if you have an outline with you in your bulletin, I've got three statements that I just want to make here as we look at this passage. The sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. The first statement is this. The Roman sword and the word of God are indispensable. Can you imagine if you were a part of an army and the trumpet has sounded and you have been asked to go out and dash out to enemy lines and you have all of your gear except for a weapon. You don't have a gun, nor do you have a sword. We would say that doesn't make any sense at all. And that is the point of this. We need a weapon that we can go out and go on the offensive. Now, for the Greek word for sword, there's actually two different words. The first word is the word spatha. This is the word that refers to a sword that is three feet long. Maybe we've seen movies of big swords like this where they slam and collide with enemy soldiers. Maybe we think of Zorro and him pulling out this long sword and him doing some fencing with one another. But, but that is not this idea of sword here in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17. It is not the word spatha. Rather, it is of a different type of sword. It's a word in the Greek that is called a makera. A makera. It is a sword that would be twelve to eighteen inches long. It would be one that would be a lot easier to maneuver. This would be a sword that would be used towards hand-to-hand combat. Now, we we've learned this a couple of weeks ago that a Roman would have a shield that would be about four feet tall and about two and a half feet wide. Certainly that would protect. But a Roman soldier would also use their sword for more specific defense or more specific uh, protection. Now this sword, again 12 to 18 inches long, would be double-edged and would have a very sharp point on it. And it would be used to fight. It could be deadly. We might think of a massive sword like this swinging and hitting someone, but this makara was very effective in injuring someone and actually killing them. All it would take is about two inches inside one's abdomen towards their heart, and they could be injured very severely or, or even die. As I was thinking about this passage and meditating on this, I thought of a trip this past spring when uh, we visited uh, the little town where Melody grew up, near, well, in northwest Texas. It was kind of those old country town, an oil, oil town at one time. And people there were, were pretty country. And we, we stopped there for a little while and we visited some of our old friends. And and he he had these hound dogs and they would chase these wild boars. One day he loaded us up in a pickup truck and a horse trailer. We went out and took a mule ride. And as we were doing that, he was telling me all about his tales of these wild boar hunts. And as he's telling me about this, I asked this question. Well, what kind of a gun do you use for that? And he looked at me like I was, like I was from Wisconsin or something like that. He said, what, what are you thinking? He's pulled out this big knife, 12 to 18 inch, kind of like a Makara. And he says, this is what we use. The, the, the dogs would corner one of these wild boars and we would go in there. Now, ladies, you might want to plug your ears. or kids, if you don't like blood, you might not like this. But we go in there and we slam it in the side and we wiggle it like this and it bleeds out to kill that wild boar. Well, that gives you a word picture of what this sword was like that we we're talking about about the Romans. It was a very stiff sword. It was one that would be effective. Now, we don't have to ask ourselves, well, what is the metaphor of the sword here? Verse 17 tells us, and the sword of it The Word of God. In the same way that a Roman soldier would never, ever go out to war without a sword, a Christian would never go off to battle without the Word of God. They are both indispensable. Now keep your finger here. We're going to look up a few passages together today. And go to your right to the book of Hebrews. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you probably know where I'm going. Hebrews chapter 4. is this classic passage here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And It says this in Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and the discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. The author of Hebrews here is likening the word of God to a sword. If we look at that passage, we see that the word of God is living, it's active, it is relevant, It. It has never been on the wrong side of history. Its truth is timeless. It is eternal. It speaks to us today. It also says that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Like the Roman sword, the Word of God pierces too. The Roman sword might pierce your skin, but the Word of God can pierce your conscience or your soul. And it says here, it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is unique. It reveals our motives. You see, we are capable of doing good things for the wrong reasons. And the Word of God is like an EKG. Have you ever gone in for an EKG? Or do you know someone? I mean, you can go to the doctor, the heart doctor, and say, listen, I'm doing great today. And you can sound very convincing. You can have a smile on your face, and the doctor can say, okay, I'm glad to hear that. Let's just do this quick test. And they'll do this EKG, and they'll find out, listen, you're not okay. You got serious problems with your heart right now, and if you don't address this soon... You're going to die. In fact, I don't even want to let you home today. You're going to stay right here, and we're going to do emergency surgery. Do you know the Word of God is like that? You can think that all is well in your life, and then when you start reading the Scriptures, you can actually learn about your heart. I was reminded of a young man that attended our church years ago. While he was commuting from work, from where he lived, to this place of employment, He got tired of Top 40 radio, and he decided, you know, I'm going to listen to something else. And so he, he was scanning the radio dial, and he came across a preacher. And this preacher was just going verse by verse, exposition. And as he was listening to this, he kind of got an appetite for it. And what he learned about himself is that he had a sinful heart. In fact, God would judge that sinful heart. He was not in right standing with him, and he needed to be saved from his sin. And he was saved by just listening to that preacher over and over again on his commute. This is what the word of God does. We've mentioned the word or or the book Pilgrim's Progress before, haven't we? At the beginning of that book, which is a, which is a picture, a metaphor of the Christian life, there is this man and, and he thinks life is going well. He's married. He has some children. And, and someday he comes across this book. And as he begins to read this book, he realized that he has sin in his heart. And the city he lives in that he thought was just fine is a city of destruction because the wrath of God will be poured out on that city. And this sends him out on a quest to be forgiven of his sin. And he finds forgiveness of his sins at the cross. There is, we see here, there is a link then between the word of God and the sword. Let's look at the second statement here. The second statement is there is an inseparable bond in the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Look again with me here at verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This isn't my sword. This isn't your sword. You can't just pick up any sort of weapon you want. This is a sword of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has provided this sword for us to fight in this spiritual warfare. There's a few statements that I want to make about this. The first is this. The Spirit inspired the Scriptures. Again, I'm going to have you look with me at a passage in Second Peter. Once again, that's off to your right from Ephesians. Second Peter. And let's just look at a, a couple of verses here in Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll begin in verse 19. Peter is writing, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and in the morning star rises in your hearts. Listen to verse 20 and 21. Now this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Verse 21 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know what that is saying? Is that the Word of God, the scriptures that we have, were not just written down by men, but these men were moved. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down God's very Word. The second thing we can see under this inseparable bond between the Spirit of God and the Word of God is that the Spirit enables an understanding of the Scriptures. Let's look at 1 Corinthians, off to our left now from the book of Ephesians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we will see this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll look at verse 13. It's wonderful to hear those pages turning today. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Do you hear that? These words are brought and they're taught by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what verse 14 says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Have you ever talked with someone that is not a Christian, and you are sharing with them truth from the Bible or, or the very word of God, and it looks like there's a glazed overlook? Well, there's a reason for that. Because the spirit of God has to make the word of God clear to them, and he's yet to do that. Let's look at a few other other places. Now let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Again, we're seeing this connection between the Spirit of God and the Word of God because it is the sword of the Spirit. Chapter 14, verse 26. Uh, Jesus is telling of the Holy Spirit coming after his death and resurrection. And he says of the Holy Spirit, verse 26 of chapter 14 of John, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What will the Holy Spirit do? It will take Jesus' words and it will bring them to his followers' remembrance. One other passage here, and that's John chapter 16. John 16. And let's look at verses 8 through 14. Again, in the context of the Holy Spirit coming... It says in verse 8, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in him. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the world and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Listen to verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see the bond here? We read the scriptures. The Spirit of God takes that and guides us. He teaches us. He reminds us. He convicts us. Listen. When we say things like this, you know, my daddy, if he were here, he'd say, or, you know, my mom, she always used to say, or, you know, I was just watching a TED Talk, or I was just listening to a podcast, and this is what, this is what they said. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of that stuff is bad, but what I am saying is it has no authority compared to what the Word of God has when we quote God's Word. It's, it's distinctly different. So there's this connection then. There's an inseparable bond between the Spirit of God and the Word of God. The Spirit inspires the Scriptures, and the Spirit enables an understanding of the Scriptures. And here's the point I want to make, is that if you are truly being led by the Spirit, then the Word of God will come out of you. I'm looking at here this morning, and there's there's more glossed-over looks than usual. So let me give an example of that, okay? Let's look at Matthew chapter 4. I know I'm having you go a lot in your Bible, but I think this is going to be worth the point. Matthew chapter 4, here's this classic example of the temptation of Jesus. The example when Jesus was led by the Spirit and applied the sword or the verses to specific temptations. Look at what it says here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Let me illustrate this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Who is leading Jesus right now? The Spirit, right? Okay, He is being led by the Spirit. Let's look at verse 20. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Verse 4, but he answered, it is written. Now again, he's being led by the Spirit. What is the fruit of that? He is quoting from Scripture. It is written, man shall not be live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, again, being led by the Spirit, this drives him to quote Scripture when faced with temptation, you you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here are three temptations. And each time these temptations come out, Jesus takes the sword of the Spirit, this shorter little dagger and applies those truths to each specific temptation. This is what it looks like to take up the sword of the Spirit, to apply truth to specific situations. So let me wind it with the last point of the message then. To take up the sword is to apply the Word of God to specific areas in your life To take up the sword is to apply the word of God to specific areas in life. Do you know there are three different Greek words for the word of God? Let me give them to you. The first is this, graphe. The word graphe is, refers to the book. One might say, I have the good book. Now, in the first century, they did not have a book bound like this that had a binding and a cover and pages. They had scrolls. But it would refer to a collection of writings. So there is a usage of this in the the New Testament. It might be something like this. I brought my book. I brought the Word with me today. And I'm glad you did. In fact, when someone says, hey, I'm looking for a good church, where should I go? I say, look for a church where people are carrying in a Bible, because that means that the pastor is preaching from the Bible, right? That is a good thing. You might say, I have the Bible on my phone. I have the graphe on my phone. And I say, that, that is wonderful. You might also say, you should see the Bible that I have on my coffee table. I mean, it is magnificent. The color of that is ties in with the wood grain of my coffee table, and the picture that is above the fireplace, it is immaculate. I love that Bible. And I say, you know, that's wonderful. That is graphe. And sometimes the Bible is used, I think, in trial, where someone holds their hand on the graffe and they, and they swear. I think when uh, President Biden was sworn in, he, he put his hand on the Bible and he, he offered an oath to the office Now, if only he would read that Bible. Amen. But that's the word graphe. Let me give you a second word. The second word that is used of that is the word logos. This is a great word. This speaks the understanding of the Bible. That says, I understand the Bible. This is a person that understands the major concepts of the Bible. I understand the doctrine of who God is, how God has revealed himself. I understand the doctrine of creation the doctrine of man the sin and, and redemption. I understand the, the teaching of the future things. All these are wonderful. We need to know the Logos. In fact, Jesus is referred to as the word, the word Logos, that he is the word. So it's possible for one to have the book, Grathi, and there's also possible to know the the major themes of the scriptures but that is not the word that is used in ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 when it speaks about the sword of the spirit which is the word of god that's the third greek word and that third word is the word rhema which means just god just speaks specifically to me through His Word. This is the argument I'm making here this morning, is that if you are being led by the Spirit, if you are filled with the Spirit, and you are are storing up God's Word in your heart, that He's going to bring Scriptures to mind for specific situations. It's possible to read this passage of Scripture a hundred times for the next hundred days, and on the hundred and first time, see something that you have never seen before. Is that not true? How encouraging it can be where you would say, you know, I've been studying Ephesians 6 for 20 years, but, you know, this summer, as we've slowed down and look at that word by word, phrase by phrase, I've saw things, I've heard things that I've never seen before, and they're applying to my life. That's that's Rama, And that is the word that is used here in Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 17, I think you might have heard that in Elijah's testimony. If I could expand on it, I've heard the gospel before. I've heard it at my local church. I've heard it in my home. But there was something about that Tuesday night at camp. When that evangelist was speaking, he was speaking to me. He was speaking about my sin and how I needed to repent. And and that's what I did. It was Logos before that, but it became Ramah when he understood that that was for him to hear. And what we need to do is, if we're truly spirit-led, is have the Word of God in us or to be familiar with it enough that when we are faced with temptation, we can pull up from that and say, I got, I got a verse for this. When it comes to a challenge, I've got truth that I can apply to this situation. So that when we are faced with lust that just seems so appealing without any sort of consequences and so harmlessly innocent. I think of what Proverbs 5 says about that. the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path too. This might seem like something so harmless, but this lust wants to destroy me. And destroy my life. I think at times where maybe I'm feeling some conflict with my wife. And I'm like, God, how, how am I supposed to love my wife? What am I supposed to do with this situation? And he might bring Ephesians five twenty five: Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to love through this. Well, Lord, I've got this conversation that I need to have and, and I really want to let so-and-so have it. God, how would you want me to approach this? Oh, I can remember a few years ago meeting with this young man and we memorized Ephesians four twenty nine together. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that I may give grace to those who hear. This is the idea of reading the Scriptures and allowing the scriptures to read you is it, it, showing you your life there. John MacArthur, in his commentary, provides a, a wonderful little illustration that talks about these three different ways to approach the Word of God. H. B. Parker said this: "As I looked out the garden one day, I saw three things. First, I saw a butterfly. The butterfly was beautiful. And it would alight on a flower, and then it would flutter to another flower, and then to another. Only for a second or two, it would sit, and it would move on. It would touch as many lovely blossoms as it could, but derive absolutely no benefit from it. Then I watched a little longer out my window, and there came a botanist. And the botanist had a big notebook under the arm, and a big magnifying glass. The botanist would leave over a certain flower... And would look for a long time and would write notes in his notebook. He was there for hours writing notes, closed him, stuck him under his arm, and tucked his magnifying glass in the pocket and walked away. And then the third thing I noticed was a bee, just a little bee. But the bee would light on a flower and would sink down and deep into the flower and would extract all the nectar and pollen that it could carry. It went in empty but it came out full. Some Christians are like butterfly. They flit from Bible study to Bible study, from sermon to sermon, from commentary to commentary, while gaining little more than a nice feeling and some good ideas. Others, like the botanist, study the Scripture carefully and take copious notes. They gain much information, but little truth. Others, like the bee, go to the Bible to be taught by God. To grow in knowledge of Him. And like the bee, they never go away empty. Don't you want to be the bee? Don't you want to approach the scriptures and be equipped to take the sword to fight the good fight? Well, how can you do that? On the back of your outline today, I've I've included something that I've been using for a little while. It's called the Seven Arrows of Interpretation. I won't take a great deal of time to go over this. But it just speaks of of seven different questions that we can ask ourselves when we are reading the Scriptures. I'll give you a full disclosure here. As we're working through the Bible and, and trying to read through the Bible this year, this procedure right here takes more time. And, and what I would suggest is maybe you just take one paragraph at a time. And so there's seven different questions. And in fact, let's apply this to the second half of verse 17 as we're doing our study this morning. Ephesians 6, verse 17, that says we're supposed to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here's the first question we ask ourselves. What does this passage say? This passage is speaking to us that there's a, there's a similarity between the Roman sword and the word of god the second question what does this passage mean to its original audience well they would have known that there was a sword it wasn't a long one it was a short one it was used for not only offense but also defense and the word of god is like that as it can cut open a person the sword the word of god can cut up a person's conscience or soul or what does this passage tell us about god god cares about us so much that he has given to us his word But in order to understand it, we need His Spirit. What does this passage tell us about um, about man, about other men? We might say that they too need understanding. So if I share the gospel with someone, I also need to pray, God, help them to understand what I share. The next question is, what does this passage demand of me? This is a command for me, that I'm to take up this Word of God, to know it, be poised to be ready to fight. Even this day. What does this, passage, what does this passage change the way I relate to people? It could give me compassion when I, when I try to share the word and maybe their eyes are not open yet because the Spirit hasn't opened their eyes yet. And then finally, how does this passage prompt me to pray to God? God, how do you want to apply this in my life? I think these seven arrows can help in producing rhema. <laughs> where you read it and the Spirit gives you understanding of what God is saying to you about the specific areas of your life. There was an old man that one day walked into a lumberyard and he asked the man, listen, I want a job. And this young man that was in charge of the sawmill said, listen, buddy, I think you're a little too old. At this stage of your life, you should be looking for management. And the old man said, no, listen, I can do this. I really need a job. The manager said, I'll tell you what, we're going to take you out to a forest where we got some guys cutting some trees down right now. You go off and we'll see how you can do. And so they sent this old man out to the forest and there with his saw, he began to saw these trees down and over the same period of time, he did much more than all these younger guys did. And the manager said to him, Wow. How did you learn to cut trees down like that? He says, have you ever heard of the Sahara Forest? No, I've heard of the Sahara Desert. Well, by the time I was done with it, it became the Sahara Desert. And the point of it is this. We got great hope, loved ones. We have been given the Word of God. We have been given the Spirit of God. Yes, there is a war out there, but we have been given all of this armor, not only to defend us, but also for us to go on the offensive, to claim these promises of the power of God. And so I want to urge you to do that. Beginning today, beginning this week, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Are you taking up the sword of the Spirit? Are you reading the Scriptures? And if so... Are they grapha to you? Is this something you just brought in the last time you touched this was last Sunday morning? Or is it logos to you? And and maybe maybe it is. You're reading the general understandings, and I say praise the Lord for that. Maybe you're listening to it. I'm not going to condemn you for that. Maybe you're like that butterfly, and you're listening to some sermons, and you're benefiting from that. But God is calling us, I think, to be the bee. Say, let me just slow down. I know I've got a fast life right now. I know there's a lot of demands, but let me just slow down. And let me just apply these seven arrows. Or maybe you have something else that you use and it works just as good, maybe even better. And I just want Ramah. God, speak to me about this situation. You know what I'd like to do is just to wind our sermon down here by just giving you some time to think. Okay, you've heard the Word of God today. How would God have you apply it? I wonder if Miss Jean could come and and just play quietly. We don't need to worry about singing after this sermon right now. We'll have a closing song at the end. But I want to give you some time just to think, God, what is it that you would want me to do with this? Perhaps it's thanking God for how he is feeding you you come into your time in the Bible and you're empty, but by the time you leave, you are full and you just want to thank God for that. Others might say, you know what, I need to repent because it's only a grapha to me. It's just a book and I don't read it. God, please forgive me for that. I, I want to come and, and I, want, I want to read it like that Be and I want to just draw on truth. If you haven't read the Bible in a long time, we, we always recommend one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. to Just start there. Take a paragraph at a time. Read it carefully. Apply these seven arrows to it. Let me give you a, a time here to pray and to think of what God would have you to do with this message. I have found that if I will... If I'll just commit to period of time and say, you know, I'm gonna take these seven arrows and for the rest of this month, I'm just gonna apply that. And I've got a start time and an end time in mind that works for me. Maybe that's what the Lord would have you to do. Father, I thank you for letting us hear from you today what a what a joy that we have. That we can be strong in the Lord but you've you've given to us these resources. You've given to us faith. You've given to us assurance. You've given to us peace. And you've also given to us your word. Oh, Lord, may may we run out with this weapon, not only to defend, but also to advance and speak this truth to our own hearts and to those around us. In Jesus' name. Well, once again, as we, as we wrap up and maybe the music team can come up here and we'll have a closing song. If, uh, if you are wondering more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, uh, we want to be able to talk with you about that. Uh, we'd be happy to make an appointment with you or if you want to do that this morning, we would be thrilled to do that.